This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 39 of the 60-day legislative session. There has been another spike in COVID cases, the most in almost two months. Florida's governor and attorney general file suit against the feds to try to get cruise ships back in business. I'm happy to announce that on behalf of the tens of thousands of Floridians whose livelihood depends on the viability of an open cruise industry, today Florida's fighting back. We have filed suit against the administration, HHS, and the CDC, demanding that the court find that this effective no-sale order is unlawful and allow our cruises to resume safely. Legal experts say it's not likely to work, but from a political standpoint, it already has. The Florida House votes to impose the sales tax on online purchases and use the billion-dollar-a-year windfall to fix the unemployment system. Critics say they fixed a part that wasn't actually broken and ignored the real problem. We need the governor and the state legislature to simply fix an archaic system that's become, frankly, a national embarrassment. This legislature has failed to address the real problems and found another way to uh, take money from the taxpayers of Florida and give it to wealthy businesses. The Senate signed off on the final changes, and that bill is now headed for the governor. The House also voted to abolish the Lawton Child's Endowment Fund, much to the dismay of Representative Joe Geller. Don't be disrespectful to somebody who served this state as a U.S. senator, as a governor, died in office, served with distinction. Please, members, don't do this. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed tells the U.S. International Trade Commission that Mexican imports of cucumbers and squash are costing Florida farmers millions of dollars and thousands of jobs. There's over 2,500 jobs lost. I want to say that again. Over 2,500 good-paying jobs in our communities lost, family farms shutting down, and parents struggling to provide for their children. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man accused of stealing a car from the Kansas Highway Patrol and leading officers on a 100-mile-an-hour chase while his hands were still cuffed behind his back. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, April 9th. This is National Unicorn Day, National Chinese Almond Cookie Day, and National Winston Churchill Day. On this date in 1865, Confederate General Robert E. Lee and his troops surrendered at Appomattox. In 1992, Florida prosecutors dropped charges against three New York Mets accused of raping a woman at Dwight Gooden's house in Port St. Lucie during spring training. And on this date in 2003, Baghdad fell to U.S. forces. It ended the invasion of Iraq, but resulted in widespread looting. <laughs> 
Florida's health department reported 7,939 new cases of COVID-19 Thursday. That's the most in a single day in almost two months. The state also announced 84 new fatalities, twice as many as reported Wednesday. Our death toll has reached 34,562. Over the past week, Miami-Dade had the highest rate of new cases in Florida, followed by Broward, Osceola, and Hillsborough. But on the plus side, approximately 4 million Floridians have now completed the vaccination process. Florida is suing the feds to try to force them to allow cruise ships to get back to business. Governor Ron DeSantis announced that lawsuit during a press conference at Port Miami. The federal government has locked down this industry for over a year. This is not reasonable. This is not rational. And guess what? If they say that cruising is not safe, even with widespread vaccine availability, all the testing you want, they have now uh, antibody treatments that have been very effective. They have all these different things. It's a much different situation than a year ago. But guess what? People are still gonna go on cruises. You know what they're gonna do? Instead of flying to Miami, spending money to stay in our hotels, spending money to eat in our restaurants before they get on the ship, they're gonna fly to the Bahamas and they're gonna get on the ships from the Bahamas and they're gonna spend the money in the Bahamas and then they're gonna do the same thing that they would have done. It just won't be helping the state of Florida and it won't be helping our folks here who really depend on it. So how does that make any sense? It doesn't, it's irrational uh, and this is something that we don't believe uh, can continue any longer. Uh, And so today, I'm happy to announce that on behalf of the tens of thousands of Floridians whose livelihood depends on the viability of an open cruise industry, today Florida's fighting back. We're filing a lawsuit against the federal government and the CDC uh, demanding that our cruise ships be reopened immediately. This will be something that we believe we have every legal right to insist upon. We don't believe the federal government has the right to mothball a major industry for over a year. Uh, based on very little evidence and very little data. And and I think we have a good chance for success. The lawsuit was actually filed in federal court by Ashley Moody in her capacity as Florida's attorney general. We are not going to sit back while an administrative agency decides to shut down an entire industry. 60% of the nation's cruises come out of Florida. Almost $8 billion dollars is injected into Florida's economy because of this thriving industry. And what we heard yesterday was announcements that cruises are again delaying and canceling because of this administration. They are not willing to revamp and consider lifting these no-sale orders and allowing us to resume this thriving industry with reasonable health protocols. And why is it important for the administration to do that? to do their jobs because we have people floundering here in Florida. We are losing tax revenue. People's lives are on the line. They are desperate to return to work. And we will not sit back in Florida while the freedom of people's lives and their businesses are at stake. We will always stand up for freedom in Florida. We have filed suit this morning, just before meeting with you here today, against the administration, HHS, and the CDC, demanding that the court find that this effective no-sale order is unlawful and allow our cruises to resume 
safely. If we do not do this, you will see cruises continue to move these cruises to other countries. The Biden administration has had numerous opportunities to engage and put America's businesses first, Florida's businesses first. And instead, he has allowed the playing field to be tilted to the benefit of foreign countries. And Florida will not allow that to happen. If this sounds more political than legal, let's just say there's a reason. The experts say this lawsuit doesn't have much chance because the federal government makes the rules for international commerce, not the states. But win or lose, DeSantis will be able to claim that he stood up to the Biden administration. The House of Representatives approves a bill requiring out-of-state companies to charge the Florida sales tax for any online purchases made from the Sunshine State. Representative Evan Jenny of Dania Beach says it'll cost consumers more than a billion dollars a year, and that money will be turned into a tax break for business. A billion dollars in regressive taxes as Floridians are beginning to stand back up economically is just a bridge too far for me. We've heard that, yes, this is not a new tax. It just wasn't being collected. And that may fly with folks uh, like in this building, but you know who it's not going to fly with? It's not going to fly with all the grandparents on a fixed income. It's not going to fly with all the college students struggling to achieve their dream of an education, paying their way through school with barely two nickels to rub together. It's not going to fly with half the adults in Florida with less than $1,000 in their bank accounts. And it's certainly not going to fly with the millions of Floridians who lost their jobs or businesses in the past year. I can promise you they will simply see it as a cash grab by politicians. You can do all the oral gymnastics you like, and I am a fan, but this bill makes sure that $1 billion is to be taken from our constituents' back pockets. This bill, members, in my estimation, is robbing Peter to pay Peter. The way this legislation is written, workers will be footing a very specific bill, but that is how regressive taxation works. Those with the least to give will have to give the most. But they won't just be taxed for a nebulous increase. It will be very specifically to bail out the state's abysmal failed unemployment system. That man-made swamp millions of Floridians had to and continue to trudge through. So, if your policy bingo has forced people failed by the state's unemployment system to pay for the failed unemployment system, Congratulations, I guess you get a square. Jenny supported the concept of an online sales tax, but could not support the bill because of the way the windfall is being used to bail out the unemployment fund, which is supposed to be financed by a tax on businesses. But Representative Chuck Clements of Newberry believes that's a selling point for the bill. One billion dollars is a lot of money, and that will go into the general revenue used for those things that the bill will allow for, like replenishing the fund for the people who have lost their job. And so when people say, who benefits from this? Who benefits from this? It's large corporations benefit. No, large corporations don't benefit from this. The people who have lost their job will benefit from this because they will have a healthy surplus fund from which those benefits will be paid. My point is, we're in this together. Florida has it right. Florida has it right. I would like to make, make America more like Florida. The low taxes that we have have created an environment by which employers can not only flourish, but create more jobs, thus eliminating the need 
for unemployment benefits. Representative Anna Eskimani says that billion-dollar-a-year tax break for business could have taken care of some major problems lawmakers have been ignoring, like the more than 20,000 people with disabilities on the state's waiting list for services. A lot of my colleagues in this chamber say Florida is a pro-business state, and I, I challenge you to consider how we can be a pro-people state, a pro-family state, a pro-worker state. We are not spending that billion of dollars to eliminate the entire APD wait list, which is what this money could do. We're not using this money to, to double, if not triple, access to pre-K, which this money could do. We could use this money to offset driver's license fees across the state of Florida if we really wanted to. There are so many other ways to use this money to give it back to people we're collecting it from. But because we're choosing to shift the consumer burden to benefit corporations, I cannot support this bill. I know many of my colleagues are taking the stance this is not a tax increase because you're closing a loophole. All right, if that's what you want to say, that's great. I urge you to take that same approach to closing corporate tax loopholes. Take your same logic and apply it to corporations. Representative Nick DeSigli of Pinellas County has a financial stake in this bill. He owns a garbage company in Pinellas County, and this will save him from a big increase in unemployment taxes. Last year, during this pandemic, there was not one employee that I laid off. Thank God. And so fast forward to January, that first payroll, pay every Friday. We look in there and there's a $1,200 increase for my unemployment tax. Now, in my world, $1,200 is a few workers, blue-collar workers, to load trash in the truck, a couple of drivers, maybe even a welder, a mechanic. And so I th I'm thankful for this relief because even though we're a year past the pandemic, we're still struggling. Small businesses are still struggling. And one of the hardest things that we're dealing with is, is an actual workforce that is able and willing to go to work because they're able to stay home and receive paychecks when there are thousands and thousands of jobs available. But labor leaders in South Florida say the legislature got this ass backward. Dan Reynolds with the AFL-CIO of Broward County says they fixed the wrong part of Florida's failed unemployment system. It's going to bring in about a billion dollars. But what they did was turn around and say, well, what we'll do is use that money simply to alleviate the need for employers to pay an increase in the uh, employment tax. That wasn't the part that was broken. The part that was broken was how you apply. Only about 10% of unemployed workers who applied for benefits in the last year ever saw a dime. That hasn't been fixed. They are talking about maybe a $100 increase uh, in the weekly maximum benefit that will still keep us at the bottom. And with all the needs in Florida for them to bring in a billion dollars in revenue and turn around and give it to employers so that they don't have to fill the system. Basically, workers will be paying the tax into their own unemployment. You know, it's just this legislature has failed to address the real problems and found another way to uh, take money from the taxpayers of Florida and give it to wealthy businesses. So it's just a, a, a shame that they haven't taken this opportunity to fix the system. 
So basically, we've gone full circle right back to the unemployment system. Wendy Walsh with the Hospitality Workers Union in Miami-Dade says it needs to be repaired before lawmakers forget what happened over the past year. We need the governor and the state legislature to simply fix an archaic system um, that's become, frankly, a national embarrassment um, over the course of the last year. We need to let the system do what it was intended to do, to provide benefits to people so that they can live until they get back on their feet and they get back to work. Our members want to work, um, but they can't until the hospitality industry comes back strong. And it's going to be a slow crawl over the course of the next year. The pandemic really focused a bright light on a very long, broken system. And we need the legislature to fix this system before that light goes out, frankly. And people, again, forget those who have the greatest needs. This is not a partisan issue. It's a basic issue of human rights. People need to be able to live and to be taken care of in the worst of times. That's what this system was set up to do. And it's failing our workers across the state. The tax bill has now been approved by both chambers and is headed for the governor after the Senate agreed to go along with the idea of using the new sales tax money to reduce the tax on business rentals once the unemployment fund has been completely refilled. The House also voted to abolish an endowment fund set up to honor Lawton Childs. He's a former state lawmaker, U.S. senator, and served eight years as governor during the 90s. Childs led the charge to make big tobacco pay for the damage done by their products, and they've paid billions of dollars over the years as part of a legal settlement with the state. The Lawton Childs Endowment Fund was supposed to be a permanent funding source to help pay for child health care and anti-tobacco ads. But Republican leaders in the House decided to put that money into reserves and shut down the Childs Endowment. Representative Joe Geller of Aventura says it was just wrong. We're being disrespectful here. Lawton Childs was a great Floridian. He fought for the people of this state. He came from nowhere. And he made it to the top of the political tower, if you want to call it, or whatever, in this state and in this country. And he was a fighter, and always for the people. And by the way, for any of you who care about it, he was a cracker, self-proclaimed and proud. Would you be voting for this today if this was the Ronald Reagan Trust Fund? Would you be voting to just take his name off We're going to take his name off the turnpike too? This is disrespectful. It dishonors our legacy. I'm shocked that we would do this. And dishonor his purpose. His purpose was to help the people of this state. And that's what that trust fund does. And it's special. And it's not taxpayer dollars. It wasn't funded by taxpayers. It was funded by wrongdoers and it helps our children. Don't do this. Don't be disrespectful to somebody who served this state as a U.S. Senator, as a governor, died in office, served with distinction. Please, members, don't do this. But of course they did it, and shame on them for dissing one of the best governors we've ever had. Lawton Childs was something special. And you know, it hurts to see a pack of political lightweights trying to tear him down. 
The League of Women Voters is warning lawmakers not to play the gerrymander game when Florida's political boundaries are redrawn during the next legislative session. League President Patty Brigham says they expect lawmakers to honor the Fair District's amendment in the state constitution, the one prohibiting any efforts to draw those lines to benefit the party in power. And she's asking lawmakers to sign a pledge to play fair. The Florida League is renewing our commitment to promote transparent and accountable redistricting processes and to end hyper-partisan practices that don't benefit constituents. Redistricting centers around political power and power that is often wielded in an underhanded way. All too often, elected officials may even deliberately split neighborhoods and communities to silence voters' voices that they don't want to hear from. Specific communities of interest may differ in detail, but the basic concept is they're made up of people who live in an area and share common interests, such as voting rights, health care, or environmental concerns. The League of Women Voters of Florida stands hopeful that this redistricting process does not go the way it previously did in the Sunshine State. That was a monstrous battle that featured instances of public deceit, secret plans, extensive litigation, and ultimately the redrawing of both congressional and state legislative district lines. Every legislator in Florida regardless of political affiliation, can commit themselves to doing what is right when it comes to fair districts. The opportunity is here and now. The League has good reason to be suspicious. Ellen Frieden led the campaign for the Fair Districts Amendment back in 2010, and she says lawmakers promptly ignored them. In 2012, the legislature proclaimed that, well, now it's in the Constitution, we're going to require our members to really comply with the Fair Districts Amendment. And we're gonna have an open and transparent and interactive and fair redistricting process. Well, we all know that that didn't happen. That in fact, the um, legislative leadership engaged in a conspiracy with political operatives to draw maps that favored the controlling party. And it took, years of litigation, very hard fought litigation, for us to learn about this scheme and to uncover it. It was so bad, what we uncovered was so bad that at some point towards the end of the litigation, the Florida Senate actually came forward and admitted that the maps it had drawn were improperly drawn, not compliant with the Fair District's amendments and shouldn't be used in the future. So now we have maps that are court approved for the Senate and the congressional maps. And we are hoping that the legislature in this session of redistricting coming up will actually comply with the fair districts amendments. But we have, we are working in coalition with many organizations to ensure that the public is watching and that what happened in 2012, where the legislature really lost its trust, it squandered its trust. We are hoping that the legislature will earn back its trust this particular session. Frieden and Brigham both say the league is ready to go back to court if lawmakers play political games when the new maps are drawn.
Nikki Freed goes to bat for farmers who grow cucumbers and squash. Florida's agriculture commissioner has been trying to convince the U.S. trade representative to do something about the flood of produce from Mexico. She testified over Zoom about the damage done to Florida's squash and cuke operations. In 2000, Florida produced 230.5 million pounds of cucumbers, which accounted for 19% of the U.S. market at that time. Yet, despite a demand increase of 75% of fresh and chilled cucumbers in the United States market, Florida saw its production volume decrease by 61% to just 88.9 million pounds, and our market share decreased even further, down from 78% to just 4.17%. It is clearly not a lack of domestic demand driving those losses. Instead, we found that Mexico increased both its volume and market share in the United States during the same time period. For Florida's squash industry, the outlook is even more dire. As we have seen the total weight of squash shipping into or within the United States increase by 120% between 2000 and 2020. Of the 626 million pound increase, 91% is accounted for by greater imports from Mexico alone. Once again, the argument that the devastation being felt among Florida's producers is being caused by increased domestic competition is proven to be simply not true. As these unfair trade practices are allowed to continue with no protections or remedies within reach of our domestic producers, we continue to see the harm spread with an estimated $382 million in lost cash receipts for squash in Florida from 2015 to 2019. It is equivalent to 1,222 fewer jobs, supported by an overall negative impact of $756 million. For our cucumber industry, the estimated $562 million is lost cash receipts between 2015 and 2020. Displacement by imported products equates to 1,499 less jobs, supported an overall negative impact of loss of $1.11 billion. That's billion with a B. That's over 2,500 jobs lost. I wanna say that again, over 2,500 good paying jobs in our communities lost, family farms shutting down, and parents struggling to provide for their children. Commissioner Freed says 20 of Florida's top commodities have lost U.S. market share since 2000, while Mexico's market share has increased by at least 100%. Your calendar of events and your daily fix of Florida Man are next on the Sunrise Podcast. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to your Sunrise Calendar. The Florida Board of Medicine meets online at 8. The Senate Appropriations Committee meets at 8.30 and could go as late as 6 p.m. Yee. Trustees at the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind hold committee meetings at 8, followed by a board meeting at 9.45. The Florida Board of Nursing meets by phone at 8.30. The Board of Massage Therapy meets at 9. The House Finance and Facilities and Governmental Operations Subcommittees both meet at 9.30. The House Public Integrity and Healthcare Appropriations Subcommittees are both meeting at 11.30. And the U.S. Department of Agriculture will update its citrus forecast at noon. Finally today, a Florida man is accused of stealing a car from the Kansas Highway Patrol and leading officers on a 100-mile-per-hour chase while he was still handcuffed. 23-year-old Joshua Swartout 23-year-old Joshua Swartout of Naples was being driven to jail for a stolen vehicle charge when the trooper saw a motorcycle crash. When the officer was a 
Finally today, a Florida man is accused of stealing a car from the Kansas Highway Patrol and leading officers on a 100-mile-per-hour chase, all while he was handcuffed. 23-year-old Joshua Swartwout of Naples was being driven to jail for a stolen vehicle charge when the trooper spotted a motorcycle crash. As the officer was assisting the victim of that crash, Florida man gained control of the patrol car and drove off at high speed. The chase lasted 30 minutes until the stolen cruiser ran out of gas. Swartwout, who was still cuffed behind his back, tried to run but was apprehended in short order. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 